I'm Catherine Lanfer, and you're listening to Iran and the Bomb on America Abroad. The United States has been at odds with Iran for years about its nuclear program, but it's hardly the first time the world has tried to prevent a country from developing nuclear weapons. The story begins at the end of the Second World War. Certain immigration scientists made it clear to the U.S. government in 1941 that there was reason to get focused on what might be a Nazi atomic bomb. Henry Sokolsky is executive director of the Non-Proliferation Policy Education Center. Those communications between those scientists and senior officials in, in the U.S. government was the origin of the Manhattan Project. The Manhattan Project had one goal, to build an atomic bomb before anyone else did. On August 6, 1945, the bomb was used for the first time. A lone B-29 dropped a single atomic bomb on the munition city of Hiroshima. Smoke rose 50,000 feet as an explosion equal to 20,000 tons of TNT brought the greatest man-made disaster in the history of the world. After the war, American leaders knew the Soviet Union was trying to develop its own nuclear weapons, and they were worried that nuclear knowledge could soon spread to other countries. The United States' first attempt to control the awesome power of the atom was presented by U.S. Ambassador Bernard Baruch in June 1946. My fellow members of the United Nations Atomic Energy Commission and my fellow citizens of the world, we are here to make a choice between the quick and the dead. Science has torn from nature a secret so vast in its potentialities that our minds cower from the terror it creates. Henry Sokolsky. The Baruch Plan called upon essentially the Soviet Union to open up to total international inspection. It then argued that upon those inspections, the United States would give up its nuclear weapons. But there was a fundamental problem with the American proposal, and that was that we wanted Russia to open up to inspection before we gave up our weapons, and Russia wanted us to give up our weapons before they opened up to inspection. The Soviet Union rejected the plan as it pushed ahead to rapidly build its own atomic bomb. And in August 1949, the world had a second nuclear power. In the face of this threat, the United States came up with a new plan to control the Cold War arms race and to safely spread the benefits of nuclear technology. Dwight Eisenhower spoke at the United Nations in 1953. It is not enough to take this weapon out of the hands of the soldiers. It must be put into the hands of those who will know how to strip its military casing and adapt it to the arts of peace. The United States knows that if the fearful trend of atomic military buildup can be reversed, this greatest of destructive forces can be developed into a great boom for the benefit of all mankind. It was called the Atoms for Peace program. Nuclear technology and materials would be made available to the world for peaceful uses. Henry Sokolsky. Essentially, Eisenhower said, well, what if we propose to use some of this material we're using to make bombs, we contributed it to an international bank that would use it to advance mankind's scientific pursuits for peaceful purposes. So he suggested that surely there will be a way that scientists will discover to render this material safe such that no one will be able to use it to make bombs. A great thought. just didn't happen to be true. The problem then, as now, 
was that the knowledge and equipment needed to create a civilian nuclear energy program could also be used to build a nuclear weapons program. The evidence is incontrovertible. The Defense Department says there are 8 to 10 missile bases in Cuba. The hours ticked away toward a showdown as 25 Soviet ships steamed toward the armada of U.S. Navy ships picketing Fidel Castro's island. In 1962, the Cold War nearly spiraled into nuclear catastrophe with the Cuban Missile Crisis. It brought home to both superpowers just how close they stood to the precipice of nuclear Armageddon. President John F. Kennedy. With all of the history of war, and uh, the human race's history, unfortunately, has been a good deal more war than peace, with nuclear weapons distributed all through the world and uh, available, and uh, the uh, strong reluctance of any people to accept defeat, I see the possibility in the 1970s of the President of the United States uh, having to face a world in which 15 or 20 or 25 nations may have these weapons. I regard that as the greatest possible danger and hazard. President Kennedy was not the only one who feared such a world. Led by a proposal from the Irish foreign minister, the United Nations had begun discussions about how to stop the spread of nuclear weapons. Henry Sokolsky. The Irish resolution more or less said, can we just agree that those countries that have nuclear weapons will not share them and that those that don't have nuclear weapons won't try to get them and that we have some kind of inspection of those countries that claim not to have them but have civil activities related to nuclear energy to make sure those activities aren't diverted to make bombs. After 10 years of difficult negotiations, the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty was finally signed. All the trappings and cast of characters for an historic occasion were present at the State Department ceremony. The treaty is designed to increase hopes that information on how to build nuclear weapons can be stopped from spreading. President Nixon and the other signers consider it a significant symbolic beginning, but nothing more because the treaty contains no enforcement or inspection provisions and because some important nations with nuclear know-how, including mainland China, France, India, and Israel, are not parties to it. But 45 other nations and the superpowers are. Despite the lack of enforcement provided in the treaty, for the next two decades, no new countries developed nuclear weapons. American security guarantees to its allies reinforced the non-proliferation treaty's nuclear taboo. The end of the Cold War made people even more optimistic. The scene now here at the Brandenburg Gate and the Reichstag in Berlin is unbelievable pandemonium. It's New Year's Eve, the removal of the wall, and unity all in one. There was hope that proliferation would recede as a non-issue, and we had reason to believe this. In the case of Argentina and Brazil, rocket and nuclear programs were snuffed out by elected officials. In the case of South Africa, bombs that had been created were literally carved up and, and destroyed. And the Ukraine, which had inherited weapons from the Soviet Union, gave them up. These were remarkable, unprecedented events. But even during the heady days following the Cold War, the world was forced to confront the dangerous reality that there were still a few nations that had nuclear ambitions of their own. In 1992, the world discovered that North Korea was concealing a nuclear weapons program. And then... There were celebrations all across Pakistan tonight. Some people shouted, we are the world's first Islamic nuclear power. The prime minister told his people Pakistan has jumped into the flames of nuclear fire with courage. Both India and Pakistan developed and tested nuclear weapons. Neither was party to the non-proliferation treaty. 
With the events of September 11, 2001, America faced a dangerous new enemy, an enemy that might one day possess nuclear weapons. In the Cold War, Americans lived under the threat of weapons of mass destruction, but believed that deterrence made those weapons a last resort. What has changed in the 21st century is that in the hands of terrorists, weapons of mass destruction would be a first resort. Then in 2006, North Korea conducted its first nuclear test. President Obama, soon after assuming office, reflected on the risks. Today the Cold War has disappeared, but thousands of those weapons have not. In a strange turn of history, the threat of global nuclear war has gone down, but the risk of a nuclear attack has gone up. Now, just as we stood for freedom in the 20th century, we must stand together for the right of people everywhere to live free from fear in the 21st century. The attraction of nuclear weapons continues, however. This is how a crowd of thousands greeted a speech by Iran's president today. Mahmoud Ahmadinejad maintains his country's right to pursue its nuclear program, saying Iran is unified. Since the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the world has so far avoided a nuclear war. But the prospect of a nuclear Iran could precipitate an arms race in the rest of the Middle East, shattering the non-proliferation treaty and the vision of a nuclear-free world. What do you think about the challenges facing Israel and Europe in preventing a nuclear Iran? Like us on Facebook and then chime in. I'm Katherine Lanfer, and you're listening to Iran and the Bomb on America Abroad.